0: Sort of the story. I'm Janie. (laughs) And I'm Max. And this is the podcast where we tell each other fairy tales. And also other kinds of tales. Yeah. And also, you are here. Welcome. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) Woo. We're glad you're here. It's nice to see you guys. By the time this comes out, it'll be near Thanksgiving in the US. So hopefully you are enjoying time with your family. And if you're not, Everyone understands that. Everyone understands that. You are not alone. Why don't you just, like, go into a dark corner and listen to our voices tell you it's all going to
1: be okay? Also, if you need to vent about your family, uh, we have a Discord. Come join us and yell (laughs) at us about your family, if that's something that would be helpful to you.
0: (laughs) Should we make a special channel in the Discord that is just, like, ah, my family is, and just, like, a bunch of, like, smashing keyboard uh, (laughs) letters? Okay, we'll do that. And you can just send out of context things that your conservative parents say. For example. For example, that's not like a personal example. I would, who knows? Um, <laughs> but maybe somebody will do that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You can post a picture of your sister wearing your top that you thought you lost three years ago. I started watching Fleabag. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it's really good. And it's weird that I'm uh, way more sympathetic to the sister than I am to Fleabag. <laughs> I think she's supposed to be a, a character that you love to hate and hate to love. Yeah, I immediately was like, I get this. <laughs> how dare. Guys, before we get started, Max, what would they do uh, if, for example, they wanted to see pictures of our books? Where would they go? Who's they? They. The immortal The they. government? Yeah. <laughs> they want to check out what we're doing. They can go straight to hell. Mind well, your business. <laughs> <laughs> I'm off the grid, Check bitch. us out in <laughs> Lucifer's hometown. <laughs>
1: Um, if you guys wanted to, uh, I don't like that I'm being quizzed. Uh, I do know the answer. Go ahead. I am proud of that. Go ahead. Um, if you want to see pictures of the books that we read, or if you want to see a list of titles that we've used on the podcast in the past, you can check us out on our Goodreads at Sort of the Story, or on our Instagram where we post lots of cool pictures. That's also at Sort of the Story. You
0: can also go to our bookshop.org affiliate account and buy the books and help local bookstores and help us. Yeah.
1: Uh, I also am in the process of going through and fixing all of our bookshop links, so they should yeah. all actually be under our affiliate thing now.
0: Yeah. Uh, we also have a website, www.sortofthestory.com
1: mm-hmm. And a Twitter, for as long as that remains a thing. And uh, a Hopefully Discord. this doesn't age poorly. Um, <laughs> the Discord is on the link tree, and also on the website, and also you can get to it from our Instagram. You can get
0: anywhere from anywhere. What if we slowly started to convince Elon Musk to listen to our podcast, and then we slowly started indoctrinating him into being a good person, and then we buy twitter for one penny i have an idea that takes a lot less effort okay and it is illegal oh oh no never mind uh, <laughs> you know what let's just go ahead and get started <laughs> elon musk don't listen to this podcast <laughs>
1: elon musk i'm not threatening you but i wish okay I was. goodbye
0: <laughs> max am i going first today i think so let's fucking do it i'm kind of excited about mine <laughs> I, yeah, I'm excited for yours as well. Oh, no. (laughs) She looked at her notes and then said, yeah, you are, I'm excited for you, too. (laughs) All right. Goodbye. No. No. Hello. Hello.
1: Okay, Max. Well, if, I mean, if you say
0: it is. It is. (laughs) Um, So I was on Thriftbooks just looking for different books that I could thrift. Mm -hmm. I love Thriftbooks. I wish they would let us be affiliates, but they don't have an affiliate program. But Thriftbooks.com, if you're listening, you should have an affiliate program. And then we can send everybody there, too. Hey, thriftbooks.com, send us money. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or just help us promote you. So... Give us books. I was... uh, Thriftbooks.com, give us books. (laughs) Give us books. (laughs) Most of my salary goes to you. Um, So I was looking for books and one randomly came up that had no information about it. Like, nothing. The only thing that it had was a title that said, Smearing the Ghost's Face with Ink. And that was all it said. And it was like, in books you might like. And it had no ratings, no reviews, no no information at all. And it was like $3. And I was like, well, put that goddamn in my cart right now, you son of a bitch. I want it. Snearing the ghost fakes with ink. And then I got it. And it's called A Chinese Anthology, edited by Raymond Van Over. Which wasn't said in the description <laughs> at like all. More like Vayman Ran Over. <laughs> Veyman Ran Over, that Chinese <laughs> anthology. One of the stories is called Smearing the Ghost's Face with Ink, which I did read. It's like half a page long. And it's not important to the whole book. And I don't know why they chose that as the title in the thrift books. Because it got gotcha. you. It really did. They were like, Janie, <laughs> smearing the ghost face, Janie with ink, Janie. <laughs> and then I bought it. So this book is called A Chinese Anthology, and it has a bunch of different sections on, like, paranormal stories and supernatural stories, and there's some on, like, morality, and there's some on – it's just, like, separated into different types of stories that historically have been written in China, like – throughout all the dynasties. He also opens with a breakdown of the different Chinese dynasties and which parts of literature came from each and how it developed, which was really cool. It's very cool. Um, And the introduction is all about the history of Chinese literature, starting back from the very first that we have ever discovered and then moving up through history. It's really cool. He was very knowledgeable. The stories themselves have the titles, but they also have exactly who the author was. And some of them have the texts that they were found in. And so you're able to really thoroughly research this. And this book was also written in 1973 and is no longer in print than, from what I can see. So I'm like, that's a pretty ethical way to edit ancient sources. And I was very impressed. But I'll talk about what I'm not impressed with after. <laughs> Sounds good. Because it was written in 1973. Uh, but the stories themselves are are solid. Yeah. Um, so... If you find this book, I recommend it. But this story I'm going to tell you is from the parables part of the book, and it's called The Ungrateful Wolf. I'm pretty sure you mean parabolas. I mean parabolas. I do. (laughs) I'm going to go all the way up, and then I'm going to go all the way back down. That's a hyperbole.
1: (laughs) No, you were right. That's a parabola. A hyperbole is, uh, I'm going to
0: (laughs) over-exaggerate this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm the greatest
0: in the world at that.
1: I'm gonna go into the sun and then plunge myself into the center of the earth. Would be a hyperbole. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: I might. <laughs> Honestly, okay. it sounds pretty good to me. It sounds like a sounds like a date. <laughs> All right. So the ungrateful wolf by Ma Chengxi. There once was a great hunter named Chao Qian Su, who was hunting in a valley in the state of Changshan. Every Chinese story I've ever read, and again, I studied Chinese for four years and I lived in China for three three years. Every story I've ever read from ancient China has to very thoroughly tell you exactly where and when and who the emperor was and all the details of the city (laughs) states and the governance and like the provinces and the state that they were in and what the trees looked like and why that was specific to this particular dynasty – (laughs) <laughs> it's exhausting. Okay, but for this one is in the great state of Changshan, and that's all I'm going to tell you. <laughs> so this hunter, he killed many birds who were known for being very quick and agile in the air, and many beasts known for being ferocious and deadly, for he was very skilled at killing wild things, and he himself was pretty ferocious and had, like, not an ounce of, like, kindness in his soul for animals. Oof. And suddenly, in the midst of him hunting and killing all these animals, a wolf walked right into his path like he was like sitting there like looking at a map like do I go left or right and then a wolf just like trots up stops in front of him stands on its hind legs like a human and then howls at the like moon and so the guy's like well (laughs) thank you I guess and then pulls out his famous longbow and then looses an arrow and it hits the wolf in his front leg and the wolf's like ah fuck oh my god there's a hunter right there
1: and so the wolf like
0: takes (laughs) off like runs for his life I have um,
1: that level of situational awareness
0: So <laughs> <laughs> that, like, that. wolf really didn't... I, it was such <laughs> a weird thing for a wolf to do. And the wolf is like, oh, fuck! And so the hunter <laughs> gives chase. It just so happens that a man named Mr. Tung Kuo, <laughs> The... The instinct to call him Mr. Tumnus was really bad. <laughs> no, I'm not gonna use Mr. after this, but that's what they call him in the book. Uh was walking by with a lame donkey. <laughs> <laughs> that donkey sucks. <laughs> the donkey's so lame. <laughs> he's carrying a picture of his mom. <laughs> More like an ass. He's wearing a tiny denim backpack. <laughs> okay, and he's carrying the he's carrying a bag that's filled with Mr. Tung books. And Tung was a believer in Motsu's philosophy of universal love. And that just means like the wolf was really lucky that he stumbled upon this man, because this man treated everything with, like, empathy. The wolf leans its head towards Dong and asks him for help. And he tells him quote, are you not charitably inclined towards all living creatures? And then he reminds him that Mao Pao freed a captured turtle in one famous story, and that the turtle repaid him for his kindness by ferrying him across a river when he needed it. And he also reminded him that the Marquis of Sway uh, saved a snake and was given a beautiful pearl in thanks. And so the wolf is like, hey, if you help me hide from this terrible hunter that everyone's scared of, then one day I'll probably repay you, just like that turtle and that snake, right? So, like, it's, uh... (laughs) Odds are, I mean, probably.
1: That's how parabolas work. (laughs)
0: Yeah! So, can we, uh, maybe start a partnership or something? (laughs) Mutually beneficial? And so the man takes the time to be like, it was pretty stupid of you to just walk right in front of that hunter. So like, that's kind of on you. I just want you to know that you should probably look both <laughs> ways before you cross the road. But also, and I'll put like, sure, blame the victim. <laughs> like, he was walking through his forest and then got shot. Yeah. But then he's like, I okay, I will help you. Um, it's my duty as a believer in universal love. Hippie. <laughs> So Tang Kuo empties the bag of books that the mule is carrying, that lame mule, um, and he tries to stuff the wolf in the bag, but I don't know if you know this from looking at Summer, but wolves kind of have long, awkward legs and, like, bushy tails. Summer has nothing in common with a wolf. Except <laughs> that he has long, awkward legs and a bushy tail. All right. <laughs> he looks just like a wolf in that sense. And so he tries three times to shove this wolf in this bag, and the wolf is like, "Come, I can't. I can't, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> they have this like hilarious, weird back and forth where like neither of them can figure out how to fit him in this bag, and the wolf <laughs> is getting more and more frustrated. Meanwhile, the sounds of the hunting party and like the dust kicked up by Chao Shansu's horse is getting closer and closer, and the wolf starts to panic. And he says, quote, "When one desires to save the drowning from the water or the inmates of a house which has caught fire, one has no time for bowing and scraping, nor does one beat the gong in order to escape from robbers and bandits. Hurry up with your job." <laughs> Okay. He's like, fucking shit, do it, just (laughs) shove me in this bag. And so the wolf folds himself as best he can to try to fucking (laughs) shit.
1: Stop. (laughs) It scared me so bad. Such a weird sound.
0: Let's try this again. <laughs> the wolf folds himself as best he can to help the charitable man. And the man crams his books back inside around the wolf once he finally gets him in there. And then he ties the bag back up. He hoists it back up onto the mule just in time. And Chao Chansu arrives on the road with his hunters. And he doesn't see any sign of the wolf. And he just starts to fucking throw a fit. He is like, he takes his sword out and he cuts off the pole of his chariot. And then he screams at Tang quote that if he was hiding the wolf, he'd have a similar fate. And I'm like... Why would you assume a man is hiding a wolf? (laughs) Unless there was, like, a trail of blood that ended where the man was? Anyway, possible. So Tung reminds him that, like, dumb sheep, who are so simple to take care of that little boys do it all the time, get lost on these trails, like, constantly. And if a dumb sheep can get lost forever on trails, a wild, wily wolf should be able to escape super easily. So, like, maybe he's not hiding a wolf. Maybe a wolf just ran away through the bushes. (laughs) <laughs> where his horses can't get to. Have you ever thought of that, you fucking idiot? And so Chow turns away without responding and leaves, because he's rude, and his mother didn't raise him right. What a bitch. Yeah. <clears> him, <throat> yeah, not his mom. <laughs> Immediately regretted that, huh? Yeah, I just, I don't know anything ex- about his mom. You I was- weren't expecting me to keep talking. <laughs> Which was your first mistake. <laughs> okay, so Tung Kuo urges the mule along as well, in the opposite direction, and in a few minutes, all the sounds from the hunting party are gone. And the wolf begins to protest in the bag. And he's like, hey, you got to let me out of here. Oh, it's really uncomfortable. Also, you have to pull out this arrow from my leg and then let me go, dude. And so Tung Kuo does all of this, right? He releases him. He pulls out the arrow. And then as soon as he's free, the wolf turns around and bears its fangs in a smile and is like, cool, I'm going to eat you now. <laughs>
1: Oh, my God.
0: Yeah. You dummy. Yeah. And so he's like, listen, I'm grateful that you saved me, but also I'm hungry and I might die of starvation. Who knows? So uh, I'm just going to go ahead and eat you. And you're a man who's a fan of universal love, so you should have no problem being my sacrifice. Thank you. <laughs> and so the wolf launches himself at the man. And Tan Kuo, who has no like no desire to be eaten by a wolf, what? Uh, runs behind his mule. And then the wolf tries to get him, and he runs around the mule, and Tung runs around the mule as well. And then they just sit there in, like, a yakety sax moment, running around a mule while the mule is just, like, rolling its eyes. (laughs) And they do this until they're both breathless and they need, like, a break. As soon as they stop to catch their breath, the man tells him, You are an ungrateful beast. And the wolf is like, I am not ungrateful. But, like, you have to admit, the only reason why men are here is so the wolves can eat them. That's your whole purpose. You should be happy with this. (laughs) So, the man has an idea. He tells him that it's a human custom that if there's a disagreement between two parties, they could decide the outcome by asking the opinion of three elderly ones. This is, like, done all the time, and it could help them make a decision. He says, if they follow this procedure and all three declare that the wolf is in the right and that he should be able to eat the man, then he will let himself be eaten. But if the decision isn't unanimous, then the wolf has to let him go. And so the wolf agrees, and they set off.
1: (laughs) On the journey... A lot of confidence. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Like, I'm sure three guys will uh, agree that I should eat that guy. <laughs> okay. But on the journey, there's no one on the road, and the wolf is, like, super hungry and impatient. So he sees this really old tree, and he's like, go ask that tree. And the man is like, plants have no intelligence. And the wolf is like, why don't you just fucking try it? I don't know. So like, just go do it? <laughs> What do you have to lose? (laughs) Also, what if that
1: tree can understand you? And you were just so rude. You should go apologize. Maybe
0: you should start with really begging for forgiveness. Because (laughs) to the man's amazement, the tree responds. And it tells him that he's actually an apricot tree, and that it was planted by a farmer who only had one kernel to his name at the time. And from that one kernel, in a year, the tree sprouted and, like, grew buds. And in two years, it grew small fruit. And within ten years, it took the farmer two arms to encircle its trunk. And the tree gave the farmer and his family so much fruit, and he brought in such a large profit every year. And the farmer, like, also sold kernels to other people so that they could plant their own apricot trees. And it was just like a really good investment for the farmer. And the tree worked really hard. Right? Mm -hmm. But now... The tree's 20 years old and it's not producing fruit like it used to. So now the displeased farmer keeps chopping off its twigs and sawing off its branches. And he keeps tearing away parts of the tree's trunk. And eventually the tree knows it's going to be chopped down completely. And it doesn't have any recourse. He's like, I worked really hard. And now I'm like in my old age. And this farmer is like fucking chopping me down and I can't do anything about it. (laughs) So like, (laughs) yeah. I'm on the wolf side. Eat that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck men, <laughs> says the tree. <laughs> and so the wolf is like, ah, score. And then like prepares to attack the man. And the man's like, hey, 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 we still have to ask two more elderly, what elderly ones. So like, calm down. And the wolf's <laughs> like, fine. So they walk on.
1: <clears throat> they don't even have to do anything for the apricot tree. I thought the apricot tree was going to be like, oh, so if
0: you go murder that guy, then you can eat this guy. No, the tree is just like, eat that guy and that'll be enough for me. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And so they walk on, right? And eventually the wolf spots an old ox. And he tells the man, like, go ask that ox what to do. And the man is like, we made a serious mistake in consulting the apricot tree. Uh, His ridiculous views nearly ruined my life. An ox is only a stupid animal. What's the sense in demanding its opinion? And the wolf responds with, do as I say or you die anyway. (laughs) Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought that was kind of a hot answer. I'm not gonna lie. There's <laughs> something about it that I was like, ooh, <laughs> I like that. Mm,
1: anyway, ther- I diagnose you with therapy. <laughs> I, we,
0: the bingo card should be every time Janie says something that like needs therapy. <laughs> mm. So the man told the ox his story, and he asks him for his opinion. And the ox thinks about this for a while, it rolls its eyes, and licks its nose a bunch. And eventually, it tells him, "Yeah, the tree was right. Eat the man." <laughs> And the ox says, when he was super young, a farmer sold a knife and then used that money to purchase the baby ox. And for years, that ox helped other oxen plow the fields. And then they all grew old and feeble, and he was the only one doing all the work And he worked really hard, right? And he cleared these fields like all day, every day. And anywhere the man wanted to go, the ox would pull the cart. And when he was released from his yoke, he ate up the weeds and the brambles to clear the fields. And the farmer depended on him for food and clothes and transportation and everything that brought him profits. And in return, the only thing the ox ever asked for was shelter and food. He's like, I was like, I'm not any harder to take care of than like a fucking dog. Like I just, (laughs) I don't ask for basically anything just like keep me alive so I can keep doing this work. But now the ox is like old And his body is sore all the time from all the hard work he did when he was younger. And the farmer is still pushing him the same way. And his skin is hanging from his bony figure, and his legs are all cramped, he can barely lift them, and he's covered in sores and bruises. And worst of all, than the farmer not recognizing that like he's too old to do this work, is that the farmer's wife has been talking about how now the only thing the ox is good for is being eaten. And so he tells them, I have no idea when my last day is gonna come or how I'm gonna die, and every day I'm just sitting here like waiting for that moment to happen. So, like... Oh, no. Yeah, and the ox is like, men fucking suck. Eat the man. Eat him. (laughs) He's not gonna do any good for you. He's just gonna use you and then die. This is, like, the giving tree, but, like, (laughs) real fucking dark. I mean... It was already super dark. It was. (laughs) So the wolf is like, woohoo, yay! And then like prepares to attack again. And the man's like, stop it. We have to find one more person. (laughs) And hopefully it's a person. (laughs) So the man's like sweating. And thankfully, he sees an old man walking ahead. And he calls out to him desperately. And he explains his position. And he tells him like, hey, (laughs) I saved this wolf from a hunter. Now the wolf is trying to eat me. And if you tell him he can't, you could literally be saving my life, dude. So like, please. (laughs) And so the man tells the wolf like, you're obviously wrong. And he says, quote, When one has received a favor and shows himself ungrateful, such behavior would certainly land him in misfortune. Confucius taught to the contrary. If a man does not forget a good turn done to him, he declared, one can be sure that he will become famous as a filial son. And the wolf protests. He's like, hey, you only heard his side of the story. Now let me tell you mine. So the man's like, okay. And he says, Tung was not as giving as he had declared. In fact, he shoved the wolf in the bag, he tied his legs, and he sewed him into the bag after shoving a bunch of books on top of him, and he was, like, really like horribly uncomfortable, and he would have suffocated, and then knowing that the wolf was in this amount of discomfort he gives this long-winded speech to this fucking hunter, and he's, like, hoping the whole time that the wolf is going to, like, suffocate to death before he's finished so that he can have the wolf's body <laughs> like, this, is, this guy is, like, he was full of shit and so the old man furrows his brows and he tells Tung Kuo, hey, if the wolf's words are true, then he might be justified in eating you. And Tung is like, no, they're not true though. <laughs> he just lied to you. And so the man says, the only way to make an informed decision would be if the wolf were to prove it. He says, climb into the bag again. Let yourself be closed up. Let me see if you were really in the amount of like pain you said you were. So the wolf is like, yeah, fucking sure, I'll do that, and then I'm going to eat the man. And so he gets in the bag, and with some struggle, they once again had him secured and tied back on top of the mule. And as they're tying him, the man leans in to Tunguo and says, You got a knife? Stab that bag. <laughs> Jesus. And the man is, like, appalled, and he's like, Won't that hurt the wolf? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and the old man rolls his eyes and says, quote, You are a fool to hesitate to kill so ungrateful and dangerous a beast, though you mean to be kind-hearted. To jump into a well to save a man who has fallen therein, or to divest oneself of clothes to use them to resuscitate your freezing neighbor, may be profitable and acceptable to the other, but how about certain death for yourself? You seem to wish to follow such examples. Remember, however, that when charity borders on stupidity, it is no longer a virtue for the wise."
1: Kind of like a put your mask on first before helping others. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, the Don't like yourself trying to be charitable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so then the two men laugh like psychos and they stab the bag together, <laughs> and then they throw the carcass on the roadsides and they part ways. The end. The end. That's the end. So what do you think about that?
1: That's interesting. It's a very it's very different from any parable that I've heard. Same, right? Yeah, it has a kind of a very, a lot of the ones that I've heard are like Aesop stories and like stuff like that, that it are very selfless. Yeah, they're very virtue oriented, where they're like, no matter what, you have to give whatever you can to help people. So it's really cool that this is like, hey, establish boundaries, though, like, well, there's <laughs> don't be an idiot. <laughs> well,
0: There is, this is extremely Confucian. So I will say I've read a bunch of, if you guys don't know, Confucius was famous because he was hired to walk around basically all of China and collect folk tales and fables and stories and proverbs. And he wrote them all down. And they actually used that to determine if people in their particular area were happy with their governance. Um, so they were like, listen, all these folktales are like, they're all songs about how happy they are and how about farming and about family. They seem to be pretty happy. But all of this area, they're all about people dying and, like, the ruling class. And they're all parables about, like, the, the predators of the forest winning over the prey. And they're like, we got to fucking look into these governors. And they use, that's how they determine whether or not people are being governed fairly. I didn't know that. That's fascinating. It's really cool. But Confucius was also a pretty... And I use the word conservative here in like the definition of conservative, like not politically conservative, but um, yeah, and how he thought, though, was very much like, it was, it was practical in a way that we don't see in fairy tales, because these weren't necessarily fairy tales. And he always told people like, yeah, you want to be a filial son, you want to have that filial piety where you take care of your parents, and you can sacrifice yourself for your parents. But don't be an idiot and just sacrifice your life for everybody that comes around. Like don't let people. And so when he would talk and he's like, you know, you don't give all of your money away to people who have no money. Cause now you're just another person with no money and somebody else is going to have to come along and bail you out. Like you have to, you have to kind of be smarter and take care of yourself so that you can take care of others. And you can't sacrifice your family's well being because you want to help others. It's really weird. It's really, it's not weird but when you read him, you are reading a different set of rules than I think we are used to in European stories.
1: Mm-hmm. I also, I think it's really interesting that the hunter and the... What, what?
0: He's a scholar. The scholar? Tung, Tung Kuo, the man.
1: Yeah, they have names. Um, and then the man who gives him the advice doesn't. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting to me. I was My story I, it also has some weird stuff where I was like, oh, it's weird that they chose this person to give a name to and not any of the other characters. Yeah, You know? Um, So, I like, that's... It's interesting that like the evil hunter has a name and the foolish scholar has a name, but the wise person who helps and concludes the story is just like a nameless passerby. Yeah, an
0: old man. He could be Confucius himself in many ways because he's quoting Confucius, old wise man. Um, Entirely possible. I do want to make a note. So this book was published in 1973 and edited by Raymond Van Over. And he was born in 1934. And he has like over 30 published books, and many of them are award winning. And he worked with like all of the major publishing companies. He was like a screenwriter. I mean, he was like a prolific writer in his day. However, in his introduction, he writes about Chinese literature. And he's like really well versed in this. Like I really appreciated how genuinely educated he was in how he wrote about Chinese history and the history of literature. But there's one thing I didn't love. And it was a note at the end where I think he showed his his time. It was like a sign of the times, I think. But he showed his hand a little too much to me in the very end where I was like, whoop, let's clock that for later. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And thankfully, it didn't show up in his writing. But this is the line. He says, quote, these tales are from a China past. Since the period of civil wars and the ravages suffered during World War II, China is no longer the land of superstition, whimsy and artistic originality. Today, art is a function of the state. And for that reason, much modern Chinese writing seems limited in scope and lacks the creative imagination of the earlier literature. So I studied <laughs> I studied modern Chinese literature and ancient Chinese literature and traditional Chinese literature and I disagree. Obviously, I disagree. And I this is what I wrote because I was mad. As in all societies, the literature reflects the current society one lives in. That's that's just how literature works. So mm-hmm. like saying, Oh, there's not as much artistic originality as writing these ancient parables and stuff like that. No, there is. It's just different now. And none of the European literature is written in the same format that the Grimm's brothers wrote and stuff like that. Like, it's just, it's weird to say that.
1: Also, there's like a a patina that like these stories develop over time. I mean, the reason why we have any folklore from any kind of ancient period is because it was preserved and passed down, which sometimes means it's because it was like a really central story. Sometimes it just means that one scroll or tablet survived and others didn't. Mm -hmm. It's like um you know the when you drive past the signs that say like Amish antiques made new every day. Yeah. Um and it's like you're making antiques today kind <laughs> of like it's it's hard to there is a certain quality of folklore and an inherent I don't want to say value but like there's there's a a coloring to a story that comes with the idea that oh this is ancient times this is not the world that we live in today but it is still applicable and I think that saying like, oh, well, nobody's writing any good folklore today is a misunderstanding of what folklore is and is also just insane. It's... And also, China is a massive place and the idea that you've like seen enough of it, read enough of it, heard enough of their stories that you can make any kind of like final decision on their artistic integrity and skill is uh, wild and Also, up.
0: clearly being somebody who studied a lot of traditional Chinese literature and gathered these and then being able to be like confidently say modern Chinese literature doesn't have the same I'm like I'm sorry have you read the same amount because I'm gonna go ahead and say no you didn't.
1: (laughs) Also, Um, because he's read all this ancient Chinese stuff, he has a very clear bias. <laughs> yes. It's like s- they're not making it like they used to. That doesn't mean that they're not making it yeah. and that what they're making isn't good.
0: Well, and so I wrote down as well, many modern Chinese stories have elements of the supernatural, nods towards parables and confucianism and ancient flavors for lack of a better word. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. and they still deal with current issues and events. And it's unfair to say that modern Chinese writers aren't as whimsical and original in their ancient as their ancient predecessors, while not also recognizing that European literature was also reformed after major events like World War II. And you're not mentioning any of that. And also, I I disagree. Yep. <laughs> he doesn't agree. And again, Raymond Van Over, he mentions his disdain for communism, but he was born in 1934, which means he lived through McCarthyism and the Second Red Scare. And he obviously has an inherent bias against communism and a fear of it that is very of his time. So... I do think this book is very forthcoming. I think it's ethically sourced and there's no political leanings one way or another in the actual writing because he's just editing it at a very straightforward. And so I appreciate a lot about that, but I also want to acknowledge that the time period he is writing in is full of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, and, and that's it. That's, that's, that's my take on Raymond Vanover so mm-hmm. take it as you will Ving but it's a very over. good book it's not in print anymore uh but i think there still might be like five copies left somewhere on thrift books <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah <laughs> and that's a uh, sort of the story that was a good sort of story yeah do you want to go ahead and jump to yours
1: yeah let's do it okay Okay, Janie. Okay, Max. The story that I brought for you today is from a collection called Beautiful Angiola. I should have looked this up. Beautiful Angiola or Beautiful Ang... Not Angola. That's a different place.
0: Angiola.
1: Angiola, I think, is um, Sicily. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's called the uh, Beautiful Angiola, the Great Treasury of Sicilian Folk and Fairy Tales, collected uh, originally by Laura Gosenbach, Gonsenbach in 1870. This edition was translated, annotated, and
0: arranged by Jack Zipes, who we love a fave. He's in the pantheon of all of our favorite folklorists.
1: Yeah, I when, right after I did the first episode where I found out about Jack Zipes, I just went through and bought like a shit ton of his books. I bought a lot of the Oddly Modern Fairy Tale mm-hmm. collection that he edited, um, just the ones that were particularly interesting to me, which is most of them. There were some that are like, you know, fairy tales about like workers' rights and fairy tales about. Italian fairy tales, there are, like, fairy tales written by women, and, like, mm-hmm. fairy tales that, like, what was it? Like, nihilist fairy tales? Yeah. Or,
0: like... <laughs> yeah, he's really cool.
1: <laughs> he's really fascinating, and he also, he's, like, a scholar of specifically German-Jewish folklore, which is very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, also, he's he's just incredibly insightful and careful and ethical about the way that he presents things. So, this book, um, Laura Gonsenbach, I keep... <laughs> In New Girl, Ryan You, yeah. I keep wanting to say <laughs> Gozinju, <laughs> um, Laura Gonsenbach uh, was born in a Swiss German community in Sicily in the early 1800s, and she learned to speak like Sicilian Italian, mm-hmm. kind of, um, and she, she grew up in this area, and as she got a little bit older, she kind of got into circles of folklore, and this man, Otto Hartwig, asked her to help him collect a bunch of folklore from the area of Sicily where she was from. And he was originally coming with her, and they found that when he was with her, the Sicilian people didn't want to talk as much <laughs> because he was very clearly German. He barely spoke Italian, mm. and also he was a man. Yeah, the upper class women in mm-hmm. Sicily were very excited to tell their stories
0: and everything. They were like, "Let me tell you this," and like you know, well, they they're would have used a whole... to everyone being interested in what they have to say. Probably,
1: yeah. But women in the lower classes were much more cagey because they were like, we don't know if we don't know you and we're not just going to tell you our yeah. stories, you know. Um, So Laura started going out on her own and collecting these stories individually. She was able to get a lot of really cool stories and also a, a better and wider depiction of, you know, across different classes and backgrounds in this area of Sicily, uh, mm-hmm. the different people, because people were more likely to trust her because she spoke Sicilian the same way that they did. And she was a woman and she was just very excited to hear them as opposed to Otto Hartwig, which was like, I want to make a book, tell me a story so I can make this
0: book. Let me profit.
1: <laughs> yeah. So this collection, Laura Gunzenbach was the one who collected all these stories. Otto Hartwig published the original manuscript. She sent him the stories and then he collated them and put them together so the original book it's not clear whether any of these stories were colored by laura's interview process and things like that or whether they were colored by like um, otto hartwig's more scholarly approach and salability of the book mm. i think that otto hartwig he went a little a little brother's grim on it where he was mm. like and the lesson is women are bad women
0: are bad, <laughs> women are bad. <laughs> so Ugh. And women then should be more obedient, or you know for a fact the Sicilian women, especially the lower class ones, were not, yeah, were exactly. not acting like that. <laughs> um, yeah, so
1: this is a very cool collection. It has been translated a couple of times and republished over the past century and a half, and it's never really gotten a whole lot of traction. And Jack Zipes, he's so fascinated by these sort of lesser known folklore collections. And so he went through, he translated this, and it's also the original manuscript which is called um, Ceciliani Schmarschen mm-hmm. is organized kind of in the way that the ATU is where it's like tales that have similarities are grouped together. But mm-hmm. when you're reading a book, if you're reading the same story, like four oh, times yeah. in a row,
0: can't do it doesn't
1: make a lot of sense. So Jack as I reorganized the book so that it's more fun to read. Mm. And he also goes way into researching Laura Gunzenbach's life and everything and huge, beautiful introduction, lots of notes, just Truly, like, a scholarly masterwork. And I really enjoy this book. It um, has a lot of really cool stories in it. So, the story that I'm bringing to you, my dear Janie, today mm-hmm. is called The Sister of Montefiori." Okay. Once upon a time, there were a brother and a sister. And they were both so hot.
0: <laughs> oh, no. <I've... laughs> <Huh>. Okay, Max. <laughs> Doesn't get better. <laughs> Max, I think we've all read this webcomic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> They're both... Just the most beautiful person ever anyone has ever seen, except that the sister is, like, a little bit hotter. But, like, both of them are just, you know. Um, <laughs> they live together. I think that they're orphans. It doesn't establish that, but it's just the two of them live together. Montefiore, the brother,
0: mm-hmm.
1: was famously handsome. People had heard of how handsome he he was for many towns around. Mm-hmm. He was whispered about. And word of this very handsome young man got back to the king. And oh. the king, meanwhile was in the market for a (laughs) valet
0: and once a hot one
1: yeah and he's like i hear that there's a very handsome young man and i want him to be my valet sure king sure <laughs> no explanation given for why that is i we got don't it. need it <laughs> we hear you loud and clear sir honestly
0: <laughs> go off king
1: so he hears about montefiore and he sends him a letter and he's like what's up you're my valet now come to the castle oh and montefiore is very sad that he has to leave his sister mm. he commissions a portrait of her so that he can take with him no and then he yeah it's very weird
0: hey montefiore <laughs> we a, what the fuck i got a very weird sibling
1: <laughs> relationship and i don't like it he Commissions a portrait of her and he brings it with him and he goes to serve the king. During his time serving the king, he proves himself he's so hot, and the king is like, I like that, and also you're good at your job, and I like that too. And he very quickly becomes sort of a confidant of the king. He rises above the ranks of all the servants who have been there for their entire lives just because he's like
0: hot and also sad. I'm imagining Um, Jamie and Cersei. I'm just imagining. That's probably a good thing to imagine. Okay.
1: It describes Montefiore's sister as more beautiful than the sun. Sure. Which is an interesting thing that I've noticed in especially Mediterranean stories Mm -hmm. and also in, like, areas that have Spanish influences. Yeah. People are more likely to describe someone as being as beautiful as the sun.
0: Which is, like, I did the story the daughter of the sun and I think it was an Italian story.
1: Yeah. Whereas, like more Northern Europe, Scandinavian Norse influences, mm-hmm. they tend to say as beautiful as the moon. Um, as well as, a couple of, like as uh, as well as, I think, m- a lot of the Middle Eastern stories that I've read have also yes. said she's as beautiful as the moon. Which is kind of fun. So, <laughs> Montefiore is serving the king. He makes his way up in the ranks really quickly until he's the king's right-hand man, basically. And all of the other servants of the king are jealous. Which, I mean... <laughs> doesn't make the most sense to me because it's like, oh, if Montefiore has all of the duties now, then you guys can just kind of hang out. But I'm not an overachiever. So they all get really jealous and they start to spy on Montefiore because they're like, we got to find some dirt on this guy so that we can get the king to kick him out. So they start to spy on Montefiore and they realize that when he's not working, he likes to go back to his room, lock the door. And then he just sits in his room and stares at the portrait of his sister and And masturbates
0: furiously to his
1: sister. (laughs) Oh... And cries and cries and cries and
0: cries. Oh, and he cries. Weeps right onto his penis. Yep. What does that sound? That's the sound of him masturbating. <laughs> Ew. You couldn't tell. Come on, oh, let me try it. <laughs> <laughs> That's him crying and masturbating. It sounds like a squirrel eating a gummy worm. <laughs> That's what it sounds like when a man has emotions mixed. <laughs> all right. Feminism helps us all.
1: <laughs> so they see him sobbing over a picture of his sister who he misses so much in a totally normal sibling way, probably. And so they, the other servants go to the king and they're like, my king... Your right-hand man, Montefiore, is acting very suspiciously.
0: His right-hand man <laughs> is covered in tears.
1: <laughs> and they're like, isn't it suspicious that he's always in his room with the door locked? Nobody knows what he's doing. Like, what if he's plotting against you? You should go check. And so the king waits until Montefiore is in his room and he peeks in through the pe- the peekhole. Peephole? Yeah.
0: The keyhole? No, the peephole. Peehole. Yeah. <laughs> he peeps in at his peehole.
1: <laughs> he... peeks in through the keyhole and he sees Montefiore crying over a portrait of his sister and Montefiore is facing the door so the king can't see the portrait but he waits for Montefiore to finish his good long cry and then (laughs) Montefiore comes out and the king is standing there and he's like, hey man so uh, what were you doing in there? And Montefiore is like, I was
0: crying. Straight it. (laughs) (laughs) I was, You crying. know what I mean? And then they high-five, and the king's like, oh, wait, you."
1: <laughs> he's like, I was crying over a picture. It doesn't matter. And the king's like, oh, I'd like to see it. And Montefiore's like, no, you can't. And the king is like, well, if I can't see it, then I'm going to behead you. And Montefiore's like, all right, I guess you can see it. And so he shows the king <laughs> this picture of his sister. And the king is immediately like, that's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. And he goes to Montefiore, and he's like, hey is she actually this beautiful in real life or is this just a really good portrait? And Montefiore is like, this actually doesn't do her justice. She's a thousand times prettier in real life. Montefiore, stop. Montefiore, you're really gross. (laughs) Um, and the king says, well, if she's a thousand times this hot, then she should be my wife and you should bring her here. And Montefiore is like, Okay. (laughs) <laughs> um so Montefiori goes back to his sister mm. and he is like, "Hey, what's up? The king wants to marry you." What he says is, <laughs> "The king wants to elevate you and make you his wife."
0: Congrats. Congratulations. So <laughs> romantic. But first, do you want to make out a little?" And she's like, "I mean, I guess. <laughs> it's what our parents would have wanted."
1: Mm. And Montefiori's sister again doesn't have a name at any point in the story. The king doesn't have a name at any point in the story. The only person with a name in this entire story, I'm going to tell you, is Montefiore. (laughs) So, Montefiore's sister says, well, that sounds great, brother, but how am I supposed to go to him? Quote, When I don't
0: have legs.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is as wild exposition as that. It's, how can I go to him? You know, when I was a little child, an evil sorceress cast a spell on me and said, may the siren of the sea fetch you. You know that, brother. Do we know that? <laughs> this is the first time. This is the most
0: like <laughs> ham handed exposition. <I've- laughs> brother, don't you know? But <laughs> Don't you remember about that evil sorceress who cursed me as a babe?
1: <laughs> a bebe. A bebe. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, so how am I supposed to get all the way to the king? If like I have to cross the ocean because as soon as I touch the get anywhere near the water, this siren is going to snatch me <laughs> into the deep. <laughs> and Monte Fury is like, don't worry, I got it covered. Here's what we're gonna do. And so Monty Fury builds a ship, okay, wooden ship. yeah, you know how a ship is like a kind of like a long bowl? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know that
1: <laughs> it's like you know it's open on the top and then it's like covered on the sides. He's like, double it and he so he makes the boat so that it's kind of like a bubble Aww. so it's covered on all sides and he's like see now you get in the boat the, the, the boat crosses the water and the sea witch can't get a hold of you so because she can't get in has a roof
0: yep okay like a bubble i kind of like it ships should be like that <laughs> what why don't they make ships like that I'm picturing, they didn't say, like, a bubble, but I was like, what would that look like? And my brain was like, a big old wooden bubble. So you <laughs> and put so one dollar <laughs> tree bowl on the bottom, and you put one dollar tree bowl on the top, and you glue them together, and that's his ship.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm picturing. And it very clearly establishes that, like, someone is sailing the ship to get her to the destination. But I picture her trying to get there, like, one of those water hamster balls. You mm-hmm. know, like, yeah. the balls that you, like, run in <laughs> to get across the water. Uh, uh, that's what I'm picturing. <laughs>
0: I thought, for some reason, I really thought that you were going to say, don't worry, we got this covered. And they hook her up to like a bunch of balloons and they (laughs) they hold her uh, with a rope against her, uh, around her waist. And then they sail holding onto her like a big balloon. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be fun.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So he builds this bubble ship and Montefiore's sister is preparing to leave. Montefiore is sobbing because he's like... He's going to go with her. "Ah." Yeah, he is. But like, well, he's going to meet her there.
0: Why isn't he going in the bubble ship? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Doesn't fully believe this is going to work.
1: But they're both just sobbing because they're going to be separated for like a while, like a couple hours probably. (laughs) And Montefiore and his sister's neighbor, who lives next door... Sees all of this, hears about all of the great fortune of the sister going to marry the king and Montefiore is the king's, like, right, his, like, hand maiden, His valet. His valet. Yep. I don't know why valet sounds like...
0: I don't know, but you have stopped saying valet altogether. I don't... This podcast has, like, fully turned around your speech patterns.
1: <laughs> I don't like saying valet. It sounds like... Le quoi? <laughs> it sounds like croissant. Yeah, it sounds like when people call Target Target. Like, that's how it
0: feels to me. Except that valet is how we say it. <laughs> I hate it. Okay. I'm gonna call it a valet. <laughs> fancy, fancy. Even though valet sounds fancier than valet.
1: Yeah, mm. that's what I'm saying. I like the valet because it's less fancy.
0: Valet does sound more,
1: please. Okay, go ahead. Anyways. So, this neighbor hears about all of the fortune that's fallen on this family. And also, this neighbor's a real bitch. (laughs) She's like, this family gets everything. Mm. We get nothing, and it's not fair.
0: We're a bunch of uggos, but is that our fault? (laughs) I can fuck my brother, too. Watch. And the brother's like, no, 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 no. uggo."
1: So, this neighbor, funny you should say that. This old woman has a daughter who's also super ugly. (laughs) Oh, no. And so... She talks to her daughter and then she runs out to uh, Montefiore and she's like, wait, wait, I want to give you, you know, my blessing as you go on this journey and congratulations to your sister. Why doesn't your sister take my daughter as her handmaiden hmm. to the to go live with the king? Like, that would be great for her, great for you. You know, she would be there on the ship for protection in case anyone needed it. Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? And Monte like, yeah, sure, whatever. Climb on in. <laughs> <laughs> Get in the bubble. And so the neighbor's daughter... And Montefiore's sister... God, I wish there were more fucking names in this story. Because yeah. I'm so, it's so Should confusing. Should we name her? No. Francine. I will
0: no.
1: <laughs> the neighbor's daughter and Montefiore's sister get in the ship. And Montefiore rides off to the king. Sure. And the ship sails. However, as soon as the ship gets a little ways out, the neighbor's daughter pulls out a drill that her <laughs> mother has given her. <laughs> and what? she secretly... She waits until... Montefiore's sister is asleep, and then she drills a hole in the side of the ship, Mm -hmm. and immediately, like, a golden whip comes through the hole and pulls Montefiore's sister out and into the water. Through the tiny hole? Apparently.
0: Oh my god!
1: (laughs) So, Montefiore's sister is gone. The neighbor's daughter uh, goes through Montefiore's sister's things and puts on her fine clothes, and then she waits. And when the ship finally arrives, in the king's harbor, Montefiore is waiting for his beautiful sister, who he loves an appropriate and normal amount, and out from this weird ship comes only the neighbor's daughter. And he's like, where's my sister? And she's like, she she went into the water. There was nothing I could do. And Montefiore is like, no. And then he cries, and cries, and cries, <laughs> cries, 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 and then he cries some more. And then he goes to the king, and he's like, my king, I'm so sorry I failed you. I tried to bring my sister to you, but... She fell into the water and is surely dead. But I do have my neighbor's daughter here. And if you need a wife, like, I would offer her to you. And the king is like, I mean, sure, why not? Whatever. I'm really sad about not having a hot wife. So I guess, yeah, sure, whatever. What? Um, That's not how anything works. <laughs> um, and then the neighbor's daughter comes to meet the king. And he sees her and, she, and he's like, ugh, ugh, gross, <laughs> ugly. Uh, but he's already given his royal word. So Ew. he has to marry the neighbor's
0: daughter. Yeah, you really should see the goods. <laughs> Before you purchase them.
1: <laughs> so there's a huge wedding, and the queen, now um, the neighbor's daughter, mm-hmm. she starts plotting to kill Montefiore because Why? she's jealous of how much the king likes him. Wow,
0: everyone just hates these hotties. <laughs> <laughs> I know.
1: So she starts plotting to kill him. She goes to the king and she says, My king, I have to tell you, Montefiore has been going around and boasting and bragging and it is really frustrating and i'm sure that he's lying because here's what he says he's gonna do Mm -hmm. he says that he's going to build a beautifully decorated fountain in the square in front of the castle and the fountain's gonna have running water and everything Mm -hmm. and the king's like that sounds great i would love it if he (laughs) did that and the queen is like i know but he also said he's gonna finish it by tomorrow morning and he hasn't even started yet and the king is like Okay, so he is bragging, and that's not appropriate for someone in the king's service. What? The king goes to Montefiore and says, since you're boasting, I'll take you at your word. If you can finish this fountain by tomorrow morning, I'll be very happy with you. But if you can't, you're going to be banished from this kingdom.
0: And Montefiori's like, what? What's <laughs> a fountain? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Montefiore has now been given this impossible task to complete by the next day, or else he'll be banished from the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And he's This useless. king is not
0: a fool friend. Like a, he's not a true friend. No. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, i ball and chain, you know? What can no, you do? this king <laughs> is not a
0: full good When mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. <laughs> I know, but he also was like, if I want to see a picture or I will behead you. Like, Yeah, you know, no, he's not a good guy. He's not a good friend.
1: Uh, but also Montefiore is fucking useless. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't do a single thing in this story. He <laughs> finds out that he has to complete this impossible task. So he cries. Yeah. And he walks around town crying, and finally he goes to the seaside and he cries and cries and he wails and he screams into the sea <laughs> and he's like, Oh, sister,
0: things are going very poorly for me. <laughs> and I feel bad for him now. <laughs> <laughs> Poor um, of
1: Fury. He's so dumb. <laughs> and from the waves rises. His sister. Aww. Oh my God. More beautiful than ever. And she has. She's three... like, it's
0: taken you a while to come to the ocean. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she has three beautiful um, handmaidens on either side of her. And she's just decked out in the most beautiful clothes. And she looks more beautiful than ever, if mm-hmm. anything. But also she has a golden chain around her anklet. Aww. And the golden chain leads into the water like an anchor.
0: Yeah.
1: And she explains to Monte Fury that the siren, the sea witch, kidnapped her dragged her to the bottom of the ocean, and she's on the other end of the chain. So if she wants her to come back, she'll just pull her on the ankle, Mm -hmm. and she'll be, like, brought back down to the bottom of the ocean. Montefiori is like, I'm so sorry that that happened to you, but wait until you hear about my day. Oh, God. <laughs> and he's like, the king wants me to build this impossible fountain that's beautifully decorated and has running water in the castle square. And he wants it done by tomorrow morning. And he says, I'm banished if I don't do it. And I can't possibly do it. It's impossible. <laughs> cry, 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 <laughs> cry, cry, cry. Yeah. <laughs> and his sister says, don't worry, brother, go home and sleep rest hydrate <laughs> <laughs> come back in the morning and the fountain will be prepared I'll take care of everything just don't worry about it okay mm-hmm. and Montefiore thanks her and he goes home and takes a nap I
0: can't believe you're telling me a story that very heavily implies incest I just everyone <laughs> keeps hitting me and I'm like what is this story
1: there's no plot of it yeah being incest it but they're just way too close yeah. I don't like it go ahead um so in the middle of the night, his sister and her maidens, uh, her handmaids, come out of the ocean. The sister's still with the golden chain around her ankle leading back to the sea. Mm-hmm. They come out of the ocean into the castle square and... Through magical means, construct this beautiful and ornate fountain with mm-hmm. real running water. My oh, God.
0: So all that fake um, running water.
1: And then as soon as the task is finished, there's a tug on the sister's ankle and she's pulled back into the sea by the siren. Horrifying. <laughs> Truly horrifying. In the morning, the king... Takes his time getting up because he's like, I really don't want to banish Montefiore. (laughs) But he looks out his window and he sees this beautiful fountain outside of his castle. And he goes to Montefiore and he's like, oh, thank God. I was so worried that I was going to have to kick you out. I really didn't want to do that. And Montefiore is like, that doesn't sound good for me either. And I'm also glad that that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But the queen, the neighbor's daughter, is still... Trying to kill him. Yeah. So she goes to the king again and she says like, oh, Montefiore is still boasting. He's saying that he's going to build a garden around his beautiful fountain and he's going to fill it with all of the trees and flowers in the world. Like every kind (laughs) of tree and flower that there is, he's going to put in this garden. And he says, get this, that he's going to finish it by tomorrow morning. And the king is like oh Montefiore (laughs) Um, so he goes to Montefiore and he says you know basically you have to do it by tomorrow morning blah 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 or else you'll go to jail
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay but does the king know what every tree name every tree and flower
1: (laughs) Montefiore is like, I'll do what I can. And he cries and he goes to the seashore and his sister pops up again and is like, hey, how was how the fountain? And Montefiore is like, Not Please, good enough. <laughs> um, he tells her that the king now wants a beautiful garden with yeah. every kind of flower and tree in it. By tomorrow morning. And the sister's Mm -hmm. like, don't worry, brother. I will take care of it. Just go to bed. And Montefiore's like, okay. (laughs) He goes to bed. Middle of the night, the sister and her maidens come and they build this beautiful, ornate garden around the fountain. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're gone before the sun comes up. The sister is pulled back into the ocean by this golden chain. Mm -hmm. The king wakes up, sees this beautiful garden. He's like, oh, thank goodness, Montefiore. You pulled it (laughs) off. Thank God. Didn't want to throw you in jail. Really appreciate it,
0: but also a bunch of these plants aren't suited for this particular climate. Yeah, zone, they're definitely so gonna they're die. dead tomorrow. <laughs> yeah,
1: the queen is still trying to kill Montefiori. Oh god, Pulls the same shit again. She's like, oh, now Montefiori is boasting that he's going to fill the garden with all the kinds of bird in the world. Now you mentioned that the. Uh, the plants wouldn't do well in the zone. Think about all the birds.
0: All of them. They're going to eat each if other. If you have
1: some of the birds there, there are going to be a lot fewer birds soon. Like, yep. if you bring any kind of raptor in there, you're not going to have any songbirds anymore.
0: Nope. <laughs> Real sorry. We you have a bunch of invasive species flying all over the kingdom, killing yep. everything. All your bugs yep. are gone. This
1: is an eco-nightmare.
0: Yeah, she's like an <laughs> eco-terrorist.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so she's like... This is what he promised and he'll do it by tomorrow. And the king is like, Montefiore, you have to stop boasting. Oh,
0: Montefiore. If you
1: can't do this by tomorrow, you're going to be beheaded. And yeah. Montefiore's like, is I don't want to tell- be beheaded.
0: Is it telling him that he hasn't said all this? <laughs> Montefiore, just tell him. I would never yeah. said that.
1: No, absolutely. Montefiore is so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Montefiore goes to the sea and he's like, sister, you won't believe what happened. She's like, what do I need to do for you? Just <laughs> tell just, me. Just give me the deets and I'll have I'm it done. I'm so tired. <laughs> um, so Montefiore goes to bed. The sister in the middle of the night comes and she fills this garden with all of the different kinds of birds in the world. King wakes up in the morning, sees this beautiful garden full of birds, wakes up to the sound of bird song. And he's like, Montefiore, truly, you've proven yourself. I will never doubt you again. And the queen is like, ah, oh, damn it.
0: Montefiore.
1: <laughs> so she comes up with a new tactic. She's
0: like, all right, I'm going to go get 12 ducks. <laughs> she goes and she gets 12 ducks. Well, that's going to be easy because he, he has ducks in his garden.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I, I feel like it's an Adam, no, what's it? Noah's Ark situation where it's like there's only like one <laughs> of oh, each. Yeah. <laughs> so she goes and gets 12 ducks. And she goes to Montefiore and she's like, look at all of my lovely new pets. All of my 12 lovely new duck pets that you now have to take care of. Uh, This is your job now. I need you every day to bring these 12 ducks out to the field, let them eat, and then when they're done, bring them back to me in the castle.
0: I love little white. I love the white ducks. (laughs) I love the idea of him herding ducks. Yeah, (laughs) So dumb.
1: (laughs) She says, and... I love these 12 ducks more than anything in the world. I refuse to take care of them. But if you lose even one of them, you'll be beheaded. God damn it. And she turns to the king and is like, right? And the king's like, I get right, sure. (laughs) So Montefiore takes these 12 ducks. I hate my ugly wife. And he goes straight to the seashore. And he calls out for his sister. And he's like, sister, I need your help. Okay, this task he
0: can do by himself.
1: And she appears and is like, oh, ducks. (laughs) (laughs) Word. He's like, sister, I've been given this impossible task to take 12 ducks to a location so that they can eat. And it's so far away and there's no way I'll manage it without losing some. So I was wondering, since you're here at the seashore and it's like way closer to the castle, I was wondering, can you just feed these ducks right here and then I'll just take them back? It'll be a lot easier. And she's like, this is really not
0: what my powers are for. She brings out a Um, loaf of bread.
1: (laughs) But she, uh, she has her long hair in all of these, like, long, beautiful braids. Mm-hmm. And so she leans over the ducks and she, like, shakes her braids. Oh,
0: no. Dandruff?
1: <laughs> and out of them fall all of these pearls and little gold nuggets. Like, little kernels of gold. Um, and the ducks Cold go bonkers. It's... <laughs> also don't feed ducks bread i just or don't want to let that gold. go by <laughs> don't feed ducks bread it, it has no nutritional value fills their stomachs so that they basically starve while they're full so don't do that you can use frozen corn frozen peas lots of things you can they use they won't like it fret. as much
0: don't be discouraged but they won't eat that frozen f- vegetables i know from experience <laughs> once they've been fed bread they will not be tricked
1: <laughs> <laughs> so these ducks are like oh dip <coughs> gems <laughs> Woo, and they she? eat all of the little <laughs> all of the little pearls and all of the gold until they are all full and the sister goes back into the ocean Montefiori starts to herd the ducks back to the palace and as he's herding them the ducks start to sing quack 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 we're coming from the sea <laughs> we're full of pearls as you can see oh <laughs> the sun is beautiful very bright <laughs> but montefiore's sister shines brighter Oh, they got a. The then tip. it's golden light.
0: <laughs> oh, they're not good. They're not good at this. <laughs> quack um, quack quack! Welcome to the gym.
1: <laughs> come on and quack, and welcome to the quacks. Snacks. <laughs> welcome to the snacks. <laughs> uh, title of welcome episode. to the snacks. <laughs> title of this episode: Come on and quack, and welcome to the snacks. <laughs> <laughs> So these ducks are singing as Montefiore leads them back out to the castle. The queen hears these ducks singing and she's (laughs) like, Montefiore's sister. Oh, no.
0: Oh. (laughs) Um, Also, they talk now. Oh, no, no. And also they're full of pearls. (laughs) That's Um, so much information to
1: process. (laughs) (laughs) So she takes all the ducks and she hides them away and she continues plotting. And the next morning she goes and she gets her ducks and she murders one of them. And then she calls Montefiore and she's like, here, take my 12 ducks to the field so they can eat. And Montefiore is like, done and done. And he herds all of his ducks to the ocean. He can't count. He is too (laughs) dumb and sad. (laughs) Hmm. He doesn't even think to count these ducks. So he takes these 11 ducks to the ocean, goes to his sister and is like, please, sister, the ducks, they're starving. And she's like, I'm busy <laughs> more <laughs> golden
0: got... dandruff
1: <laughs> um, but she shakes her braids again and pearls and gold fall out and the ducks eat their fill and then montefiore herds them back to the castle and they sing their song again quack 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 we're coming from the sea we're full of pearls as you can see the sun is beautiful very bright but montefiore sister shines brighter than its golden light mm. and again the queen hears this she takes all of the ducks locks them away and then she goes all right montefiore time to count these ducks and make sure you didn't lose any one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven no twelve shock
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: J'acuse. J'acuse. Montefiore. Montefiore. <laughs> and she's like i already told you what would happen if you lost any of my ducks she goes to the king and is like sorry uh, montefiore lost one of my precious ducks that i care so much about that i got yesterday so now you <laughs> have to behead him and the king is like i got montefiore so long
0: ago <laughs> this is it Bad devil standard. It's all Um. (laughs) I've cared about for the last 24 hours.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But the king has to execute Montefiore. He doesn't. He goes to Montefiore. He's like, I'm really sorry, but my wife says that I have to kill Mm you. And Montefiore is like, ah, nuts. (laughs) But I have one final request. I would love just one last time to visit the sea. (laughs) and the king is like yeah I can do that I mean how long do you like 20 minutes and Montefiore's like yeah I'll be back in like 20 minutes and he's like okay cool go do that (laughs) so Montefiore goes to the seashore and he calls his sister and she's like I already fed the ducks today (laughs) and he's like no no I'm going to be murdered and she's like okay this is the caliber of problem that you should be coming to me with (laughs) the ducks you can just get duck food and bring it to the ducks (laughs) you have no problem solving skills (laughs) But Montefiore is like, I'm going to be put to death. Can you save me? And she's like, that's kind of out of my power. Like, mm-hmm. if you escape, you're a fugitive. I can't, you yeah. know, stop you from being killed. But after you are dead, ask him to bury you by the fountain that I made. Mm. Right. And then I will come to you and I will mourn you for three nights straight and I will sing funeral songs.
0: Oh, God. And he's like, that's not what I want.
1: That's not the best. But Montefiore goes back to the king. And he says, I want to be buried by the fountain in the garden. Mm-hmm. Also bury me in three different coffins, one made nope. of lead, one made of silver, and one made of gold, which was not what his sister said. Also, the brutal. Yeah, why would you want to get... Anyways, I think he was just trying to rack up expenses for the king at that yeah, point. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, that's, that's a hot move. <laughs> he knew he wasn't getting his deposit back, so yeah. he uh, just... Fucking doing it. Yep. You deserve this. <laughs> started smoking in the apartment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So he has to be buried in his three coffins um, out in the garden. The king grants him this, and then Montefiore is executed. The executioner divides Montefiore into three pieces, puts the three pieces into, respectively, a coffin of lead, silver, and gold, mm-hmm. buries him around the fountain in the garden.
0: Yeah. Making her job much more difficult.
1: (laughs) Again, super weird that she wasn't like, put yourself in three and they have to be of this kind. He was just like, I just think it would be fun. I just think it would be fancier. (laughs) Man of myth. The first night after Montefiore's death, his sister comes in the middle of the night to the fountain where she's been the past three nights. Mm -hmm. And she cries over Montefiore's grave. Mm -hmm. She sings her funeral songs And the king's gardeners who are working overnight hear this beautiful voice and they stop what they're doing and they listen all night um, until finally the sister feels a tug on her ankle and she's pulled back to the sea and her song stops. So the gardeners are like, whoa, what just happened? That was so beautiful. And she was so beautiful. Wow. (laughs) And then the next night she comes back again and the gardeners are like, oh, my God, she's back. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And she sings her funeral song and cries over her brother's grave. And the gardeners are like, Wow, so pretty, wow. <laughs> so the next morning the gardeners are like, She's coming past two nights. What do you want to bet that she's gonna come <laughs> again tonight? So they go to the king and they say, sorry, I should have said also, she comes with her six yeah. maidens. Yeah. They go to the king and they're like, You'll never believe what's been happening in your garden. And the king is like, I, don't I hire you to worry about these problems. I don't <laughs>
0: care. <laughs> I don't need actually, I don't need the gardener's gossip.
1: Thank you. <laughs> but they're like The past two nights, these seven beautiful maidens have come and they have sung funeral songs over Montefiore's grave. And one of them is more beautiful than the sun. Mm -hmm. And she has a gold chain around her ankle. And we think she's going to be back tonight. But every time she's there, she gets pulled away by that chain back to the ocean. And the king is like, cool, interesting. I'll check it out. (laughs) Sure. So that night, the king hides in the garden. Montefiore's sister appears. She sings over Montefiore's grave sings her funeral songs and cries. As she's crying, the king jumps out from the bushes with his sword drawn, oh. and he smashes this chain around her ankle in oh, half.
0: Oh, true hero. Why didn't Montefiore <laughs> think about that?
1: <laughs> so this chain is broken, and he turns to this beautiful woman, and he says, Who are you? And she says, I'm Montefiore's sister. <laughs> also, I didn't drown. Your queen, your wife, my neighbor's daughter, drilled a hole in the boat, and a siren captured me. Whole long story. But basically, you freed me, and thank you so much. <laughs> and the king is like, I can't believe my terrible, ugly wife, who I hated anyways, would do that. She has to be punished. Yeah. <laughs> so this, from here on out, this is gratuitous. Okay. So I'm just going to ramble right through it. This is really fucked up. Okay. <laughs> The king goes to his queen, the neighbor's daughter. He cuts her head off, and then he chops her into a bunch of little pieces. Mm-hmm. He has the, the meat of her salted and put into a barrel. And at the bottom of the barrel, he keeps her one of her hands that mm-hmm. has a ring on it that her mother gave her. She, he puts that at the bottom of the barrel, and then he sends the barrel to her, mom. the neighbor, her mom. Yeah. And he puts a sign on it, and he says, Neighbor, who is my wife's mom, the queen sends you this tuna. It's delicious. Oh, she wants no. you to eat it out of love for her. Um, wow. It's a gift from the queen. And the mother is like, oh, what a nice gift from my daughter. And so she starts eating all of this, quote unquote, salted tuna. And she's like, this is amazing. And she just doesn't want to stop until it's all gone. She just kind of keeps keeps eating oh, it. Oh, fucked up. Meanwhile, the mom's cat and dog are dancing around her and begging for pieces of yeah. meat. And they say, give us a piece and we will help you later when you weep. Oh. Which is ominous. Yeah. But the mother does not listen. She doesn't give anything to the animals.
0: Doesn't care that they're talking to her.
1: Yeah, uh, everyone's really normal about that. Finally, uh, she eats and eats until she gets to the bottom of the barrel. And she finds her daughter's hand with the ring oh. on it so that she knows that it's her. And she realizes that she's eaten her daughter. And so she is heartbroken and she...
0: Violently throws
1: up. Probably. But also, and then she rams her head against the wall so hard that she dies.
0: Whoa. <laughs> fair but also whoa
1: yeah like just braining yourself to death is a fucking hardcore (laughs) way to go uh the dog and the cat dance around her corpse and they say you didn't give us anything to eat so we won't help you when you weep and there she's not weeping she's dead
0: yeah stupid dog and cat
1: (laughs) the king marries montefiore's sister and they lived happily and content and as some of these italian stories end but we cannot even pay the rent
0: oh i love that yeah Uh (laughs) It's weird that Montefiore doesn't come back. I thought for sure, with all the magic of, like, the three coffins and her coming back and weeping, I thought there was going to be some sort of magic to bring him back to life.
1: Yeah. He, uh, doesn't say that he does, I don't think.
0: Wow. Unless it's, like, one line and I missed it, but and it's I don't also think weird so. that this story is about Montefiore's sister. You're right. It is weird that she doesn't have a name. She
1: doesn't have a name. The only person named is Montefiore. <laughs> it's fucking
0: weird. I'm going to check, actually, make sure that I didn't miss that. Nope. He doesn't come back. hmm well, that was very spooky and weird and cool. I liked that.
1: Thanks. So this is Arnes Thompson Uther type four oh three A, um, which I do have to look up because Jack Zipes put it in the notes for this story, um, that he already typed it. Four oh three A, which this isn't as racist as it sounds, uh, but it the tale type is called the White and the Black Bride. The wow. Idea, <laughs> yeah. The idea again, super fucked up, but the idea being like the like pure bride who Yeah uh, and then the woman who like Tries the to get her out of the way, evil. and she's evil and ugly, and, you know, eventually she gets her comeuppance and, like, yeah. the proper bride is restored and everything. There are other stories in this type written by Jean-Baptiste Basile. Oh, yeah. Uh, who we've used before, and also Giuseppe Petre, yeah. Uh from Caterina the Wise, I think, yeah. which was also uh, in part
0: edited by Jack Zipes. The white and the black bride, that color symbolism in the West, so like, European um, mm-hmm. and therefore also all of the fairy tales that we are used to growing up with, they do have the white symbolizes good and black symbolizes evil. It's the opposite in Chinese mythology. Um, in like Chinese operas if a character comes in a white mask it's like oh that is evil or like deathly and that, that is like the bad one and then it's the opposite.
1: That's interesting yeah I didn't know that. Yeah yeah. so I um, apparently this is a very common tale type and I linked to the uh, ATU index of other stories that fit under this this type mm-hmm. but the thing that was I, I was really interested I already mentioned the uh, the names nobody's named except for Montefiore which is really weird because Montefiore is the worst character in the story mm-hmm. <laughs> Also, it was really interesting. I was going through, this was like the fourth story from this collection that I read. I was just reading straight through because Jack Zipes made a point in the introduction to say, you know, I put these in an order that I thought would be more fun to read straight through. Yeah. I was like, I'll start where he wanted me to start. I read four stories before this, three stories before this, and they were all almost exactly stories that we have told before.
0: There were elements of this one that was very reminiscent of some of the other Italian stories you've told, like the fountain and the handmaidens around it and stuff.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like a lot of... Tropes. There were some that like crossed over with Baba Yaga and Vasilisa Mm -hmm. and everything like that. Like uh, there were a lot of just elements that were directly from other stories that we had told, which was really interesting because it was like not just stories that we've read. Are on our own, but stories that we've told on this podcast. So I was like, I can't use these, because these are just the same story, but with like some details changed. Another thing that I thought was really interesting about this story is that especially because I was kind of attuned to it after having read a couple of stories that like towards the end I was like, oh, this is just the same story as before. I was keeping an eye out for things that were similar to other stories that I read and There were all these little elements of the sea witch who drags her to the bottom of the ocean and like this idea of the tether, the handmaidens, Mm -hmm. the coffin, the magic fountain and everything, the magic garden from the um, ogre family. Oh, not the The princess and the ogres. No, the one with the um, hot heroine who uh, has a bunch of wives at the end. Oh my Uh, God. Yeah. The princess and the ghouls. The princess and the ghouls. Yeah, like, the same, like, magical garden with every kind of and flower from every place and everything like that. Yeah. All, all of these tropes that have appeared in other places, and I'm usually willing to, like, accept at face value. I'm like, oh, that's just the story. Yeah. But this one's interesting because none of the details, like, the little tropes within it mm-hmm. are necessary to the story. Like, it's not like they're connected to anything else in the story. Yeah, You could just – it's kind of almost formulaic in a really interesting way where it could you could just be like, okay – Here's the setup. And, you know, this is the situation at the beginning. It's like, oh, she can't go near the ocean and her brother's hot. And like, this is that. And then they're like, and then insert trials that Montefiore has to accomplish and then insert like weird, magical, unexplained death practices or something like Mm -hmm. that. And then the end, you know,
0: and then they... resolution. This is something that I've been thinking about a lot, thinking about the podcast that you love, uh, Cryptid Keepers, Mm -hmm. about they eventually ended because eventually when you're telling the stories of cryptids from around the world, there's so much overlap where you're just telling the same stories over and over again. Mm -hmm. And I think even as quickly, we barely have any episodes, you know, we're on episode 57, that's like nothing. But I'm also like, so we're hitting so many of the same stories that I feel like my prediction is that and I hope, it's, I don't think it's going to happen at any time, like super soon, but it can't go on forever because eventually we will still be telling the same stories because these have such cultural crossovers and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so like, I feel like maybe episode 200, yeah. <laughs> we're going to have to, <clears throat> we're going to have to figure out either adapt the podcast or be like, and that's the end because we, otherwise we're just retelling each other the same exact stories, you know?
1: Yeah. Um. The thing that... I, I think that we have started to kind of cover a lot of the, like, staples. Mm-hmm. We've kind of, like, gone around yeah. a lot of the different stories that are, like, staples across different places. We've had a couple of stories that are, like, sort of cultural remaskings of other stories and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But the thing that's really exciting to me is that as we're kind of getting through these more, like, traditional Western... Mm-hmm. um Like, or more, like, Eastern to Western European. And, yeah. you know, we've done a little bit in Japan, China, Korea, Thailand, like we've we've had a spread, but we've kind of hit the like basics. I'm really excited that as we keep going, we're
0: discovering the more obscure ones that
1: Yeah. I'm really excited to be Yeah. To be kind of pushed to like I have a couple of, like, African folklore collections, mm-hmm. which require, a, like, a more deep understanding of yeah. their religion and stuff like that that I don't have. So it's, it takes more research. But at the same time, they are not, like, yeah, it's fantastic. the other stories, which is really cool. I think that it, we're getting in we're getting further towards the deep cuts, which is really exciting for well, me. And
0: also looking at stories like this, you know, Jack Zipes has that interest in more unknown, weird th- – the fairy tales that people aren't, like – that are super popular, like the Brothers Grimm stories and stuff like that. And there are so many books out there of people who are like, these are these super obscure... Like, Chenga does this all the time, where she's just like, this is just a book full of this woman's fairy, like, fairy tales and folktales that she collected 200 years ago and that has been lost, you know? It is fun to see how these are starting to resurface, how more and more folklorists now, and also did in the past still, like, try to find the more obscure ones that don't yeah. follow the same structures and rules. And maybe that's why they didn't make it as famous at their time.
1: Yeah, I think that especially in the 1800s, there was a lot of like folklore gathering. But I also, a lot of it needs translating, you know, mm-hmm. like a lot of the it that's a big barrier to a lot of things. Is yeah. Part of the reason why like the Brothers Grimm are so pertinent is because they were translated into English really early. So it yeah. was able to spread really quickly through English speaking groups and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some stories that I mean, I actually I wasn't able to find a copy of this story online. I couldn't find Hardly any mention of it. Yeah. But I did link there is – the only place I could find it was on a German language folklore site. If you do just the auto-translation on, like, Google Chrome or whatever to translate the page into English, it's, I mean, completely readable and almost the same as the version in the book. Yeah. Um, so I posted that. You can read that for free. Um. But it is in German. And so it's, like, a lot of these things – are out there, but we, as primarily English speakers, just don't have access to them because the fact that they haven't been translated makes it harder to get to them. And that's another thing that Chenga does is she's like, she is researching a lot of Hungarian folk tales and like asking but for deep able cuts. to like translate
0: that. it herself. Exactly, which is really cool. Well, I also found this, I know this is going long, but I did, I was telling you, I was looking up, I was trying to find Arabic uh, and Middle Eastern fairy tales today and I was hitting the same roadblock over and over again is that I could not find any that were actually written or published or edited by Middle Eastern people. And the ones I was finding, it was all like 1001 Nights. And I was like, you know what? We should do a thing on 1001 Nights. We should just maybe have like a themed episode where we both tell a story from there. That'd be fun. Mm-hmm. Except that the only copy that we would have available really is Andrew Lang. And so it's like, okay, all right. <laughs> that that might be what we have to do because it's I can't find another copy that's not by him. Except for the stories that were translated and, like, uh, edited and stuff like that by Wilhelm something. I can't remember his name. And he's not fucking worth remembering because I started to read one of his stories. uh, It's called Fatima's Deliverance. And I started to read one of his, and then I was like, this is by a guy named Wilhelm. Let me go ahead and look him up real quick. And I found out that he was just a Nazi. Like, that's just... He's one of the most famous one for Arabic folktales. And he also had a lot of his fucking writings that were used by Hitler as propaganda films. Like, they were made into propaganda films because they were all about, like like, Jewish people, and they were super anti-Semitic, and I'm like, why the fuck am I reading him? Why is he allowed to have a voice in Arabic literature? Like, what? Yeah, absolutely not. And, uh, the, and I stopped immediately. I was like, I'm not retelling any of his work. I'm just not gonna no. fucking do it. And we have in the past, like, given disclaimers like, this writer has some pretty horrible views, but this doesn't touch it. And at this point, I'm like, if I can help it, I'm not gonna give any sort of <laughs> mentions of Nazis. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. But I'm hoping that changes. And if that's a call to listeners, if you guys have any idea where we can find these books and translations from the actual people who are from those cultures, please hit us up on the Discord.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Come hang out
0: with us. Yeah. I think that we done did it. I think we done it did it done. That was very fun. It was a little more of a muted episode. (laughs) We're really sleepy. We're sleepy. (laughs) I still have to go to the grocery store. It doesn't sound worth it. So... Guys, have a great day. Yeah, thanks Uh, for hanging out with us. Come visit us on our socials and visit our website and hang out with us on Discord. And, hey, huge thank you to Keith. Yes. Thanks, Keith, as always, for doing
1: a stellar job with our audio editing. And we love you, you nasty weirdo. Yeah.
0: And thank (laughs) you for sharing those weird chants with us. They are working? Who knows? Question mark. (laughs) Okay. Have a great day, everyone. Bye. what if for future tests Mm -hmm. we ask people on the discord to ask us questions and then we answer those questions that's good for example like what would you rather eat a peanut butter sandwich or a bag of dicks
1: (laughs) (laughs) gotta be a bag of dicks for me (laughs) a bag of dicks (laughs) ew peanut butter
0: Classic questions, am I right? Yeah.
1: I'm actually <laughs> allergic to sandwiches, so
0: <laughs> <laughs> all sandwich.
1: <laughs> Peanut butter, fine, jelly, fine. Yeah. Sandwich? No. no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Love me some bread. <laughs> but oh yeah. God forbid you put anything in between that bread.
1: <laughs> I can do open-faced sandwiches or like, you know, something kind of like on along the lines of a taco, something like a, a hot dog, which is a taco.
0: Um, And if you're eating hot dogs, you might as well be eating a bag of dicks. (laughs) In a
1: sense, you know? (laughs)